0: Welcome to Presence Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit presenceoc.org. Thanks, you guys. Hey, can we give Jesus another shout? Just thank him for all he's done. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Wow. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, Levi. You come to church, you're a guest, and we already put you to work. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, Gus. Uh, Levi, uh, he does a lot of leadership up at Bethel in Redding, California. He's just down for a wedding this weekend, so he's awesome. You might see him if you ever go up to Redding, Leads stuff, takes students all over the world, and we're honored to have you here, bro. It's awesome. Do you guys appreciate the worship team? That was an amazing <laughs> set. Ah, it was awesome. We've had a, a great week. Man, those kids, I was just wrecking me that word that you got was like, he sees you. That's so beautiful. Like they wrote that out beforehand and they felt led to give that to you. It's amazing how an individual word to an individual person can affect the whole room. Isn't it amazing? Like we all could feel that, like God sees us, but that God would select one person out of the midst of us to say that to in a situation. Just so beautiful. You know, I just love what's happening with the kids and kids' church. If If you don't know about it or if you need to grab a friend or a parent to bring them along to kids' church, you know, and teach them. If you wanna, you wanna get really rocked, just go hang out by the kids' tent, you know? That's where, that's where Jesus hangs out. The angels are all there, so we're awesome. August is taking a nap. That's awesome. <laughs> I, love, I love when he yells data, like, during worship and stuff. It's beautiful. We've had an incredible week. Uh, one of our leaders got married yesterday. If you guys know Jordan Dahlquist. He got married yesterday, so we sent him off. But uh, something beautiful happened in the wedding that just just wrecked me. Um, it wrecked his future brother-in-law. Uh, Jordan's wife, Jesse. Um, came with a, with a daughter, Faith. Well, I think Faith's around three. Is that correct? She's two still. So uh, Jordan gave vows to Jessie, his, his, his wife-to-be, and then he got on his knees and gave vows to the daughter that he was receiving to be a dad to. Um, and something just hit me in that moment of just, just seeing, seeing God in that moment, you know, just, just seeing, seeing the Lord in that moment of, uh, being a husband and being a father all, all in the same moment. Um, so it's awesome. We've been doing a series on honor. We've got Easter next week. So we're kind of a couple, couple weeks where we're not going through the series, but, um, I'm going to be taking you through, uh, a number of scriptures this morning. Why don't you flip with me to Hebrews chapter, th- chapter one. Uh, I'm gonna take a few different spots, uh, just kind of hit some different verses. I don't know how long we're gonna go, but we're gonna have fun. Gosh, it's just amazing watching all the stuff God's doing. Uh, earlier in the week, uh, the youth and I we got to go minister at another church on Tuesday night, and they were seeing miracles and stuff. There was a a, a young man there that has cyst in his wrist, cyst and wrist rhyme. Oh, I don't know why, but they had a big cyst in his wrist. Had been there for what? It was over ten years. It was like most of his life and Curran prayed for his wrist and the cyst disappeared out of his wrist. And um, There was a man there named Dave who had had a stroke like two or three years ago. He still had numbness and some issues with his left side. Uh, if he were to hold like a cup in his hand, it would shake like he couldn't drink coffee with his left hand because he would get the coffee all over himself. Uh, at the end of the meeting, he was holding the cup to perfectly still. So uh, Jesus still does miracles, amen. Um, I loved it during the meeting. Uh, miracles started before anyone started praying. Uh, there was a woman just sitting in her seat and she goes, she just raised her hand, started waving. She's like, oh my gosh, I've been in pain in my tailbone for four months because of this thing, and I'm just sitting here and I could just feel God's presence touch me and all the pain's gone. Isn't that awesome? So you're here sitting in this room right now. You've got a big target on you that says, come and get me, Jesus, okay? It's too late, you're already here. God's gonna get you. Hebrews chapter one, verse three. Actually, no, why, don't we, why don't we read the whole, the whole thing? I'm gonna read it in the King James. Read whatever version you like. I like all the versions, but I just, I just kind of like how this sounds for some reason today, so I'm just gonna read it. Hebrews was written, uh, we don't actually know who wrote Hebrews, but it was written to the Hebrews. Uh, a lot of people think Paul wrote Hebrews. Some people think Barnabas wrote Hebrews. Uh, I'll let you take your pick, but uh, verse one of Hebrews chapter one. God, who at sundry times, say sundry times. <laughs> sundry. <laughs> sundry times, many times, past times and in diverse manners spoke in times past under the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had purged sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So much better than angels. I'm gonna read a different version because... I just like checking out different versions. Let's do the NLT. This is kind of fun with having the Bible on your phone. You can just like switch the versions immediately. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways by our ancestors through the prophets. But in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. I've heard it said that uh, Jesus Christ is God's best sermon. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. Let me go with me to uh, Colossians chapter one. Uh, I'm gonna be reading from there as well. I'm gonna take you to a lot of verses today because I love the Bible. I'm a big fan of Scripture. This church is a big fan of Scripture. Um. A lot of people people died to give us this book. Colossians 1, uh, let's go to verse 19. It's kind of a parallel out of the Hebrews uh, verses. Verse 1, I'm sorry, verse 19 of Colossians chapter 1. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him to reconcile everything to himself. And he made peace with everything in heaven on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. That's the New Living Translation. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. I'm gonna read it in the NASB real quick because this is, this is getting deep here for those of you that like deep stuff. Colossians 1.19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. There is nothing that can be found in God that can't be found in Jesus Christ. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in bodily form in Christ Jesus. And in Colossians 2, verse 9, it says, In him you are complete. Turn to your neighbor and say you're complete. In him. (laughs) This is good gospel here. This is good news, isn't it? You see the gospel isn't isn't the news of one day something good might happen. The gospel is news. What is news? News is something that's already happened. News is something that must be told, must be heralded because it's important. The gospel is exceedingly great news, good news. It's the good news of what God has already done in Christ Jesus in reconciling the cosmos to himself and given us thereby the ministry of reconciliation that we would begin to preach to all of creation the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm getting fired up, Pastor Jesse. I feel the anointing. This is awesome. You know, when you preach the gospel, you'll, you'll, you'll experience God. When you preach process and you preach rules and regulation, you'll get the flesh. Now, is there a process? Yes, there is a process. There's a process of your mind being renewed to what Jesus Christ has done for you. There's a reason why Jesus said it's finished on the cross. Uh, go with me to John chapter 19. I love how, uh, how Gus got up here and talked about um, this being Holy Week, this being like Palm Sunday. Uh, I grew up Roman Catholic. I love the Catholic faith. I had my first experiences with Jesus Christ inside of the Catholic faith. You know, we're we're one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Jesus doesn't look at the earth and say, oh, there's Presbyterians over there and there's Calvinists over there. He looks at the world and sees his kids. He doesn't look at Orange County and like, oh, he's like, oh, that church is really big and that church is really small and that church. He just looks and says, wow, look at my family. They're doing great stuff. And some of them are confused, but it's Okay. help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. It's interesting, the the Jews were confused about their Messiah, the same way that many of us still are today. Um, They were expecting a military leader to arrive and kick the butts of the Roman occupiers. You know, in America, we don't really understand these things. We have like, you know, social movements like Occupy Wall Street. The Jews had Occupy Romans. They had like the Roman soldiers had overturned their whole like city. They were sitting around and restricting all of their practices. They had to run everything by them, and the Jews were waiting for a Messiah who would be a military leader who would come and free them from the Romans through violence, <laughs> through destruction. Somebody that come and kick some butt. Pardon the, the euphemism of butt. <laughs> Pardoned. But Jesus is different. He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a colt. People bring out palms. They lay them down on the street. They take their robes. They throw them off on the street. They start saying, Hosanna in the highest. They they engage in praise because they, they believe that this prophetic person, this miracle worker who had been roving through their land, healing the masses, says great multitudes would gather. When miracles happen, you can't help but have people follow. That's why many of you, like, you, you want to be influential in the kingdom? Just get around Jesus and his presence. Get around what he's doing, and you'd be surprised what will start following you. Signs and wonders will start following you. They can't help. Yeah. They can't help. I love the kids. Signs and wonders follow them because they, they don't make it complicated. So masses of people are following him. They're like, okay, this is the guy that's going to kick butt. But it's so interesting because he would, he would preach these sermons like, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart. Somebody hurts you. They strike you on the cheek. Turn your cheek the other way and let them hit the other side. Somebody asks for a robe. Don't just give them one, give them two. He'd preach these interesting sermons. But you see, we today in the church divorce that image of God portrayed in the son from the image of God portrayed in the father. We see the son and we're like, oh yeah, the son, you know, it turns his other cheek. But we see the father and we see this guy that's gotta kick people's butt. So Jesus Christ, God in all of His fullness, say God in all of His fullness, in his fullness. dwelt in bodily form in Christ Jesus. In John chapter thirty, Jesus says, "I and the Father are one." And John fourteen twenty says, oh, "Let's just go there. We'll go there before we get to the John nineteen. Go to John fourteen twenty with me. Is this okay? We're just diving into Scripture. Man, is that what else would we do on a Sunday? Watch football? Talk about miracles? I don't know." Is it even football season? I don't even know. I don't even know. I don't even know. It is surfing. It's always surfing season. John 14, 20. Oh, go back to verse 19 because there's a little thing here. I love that. And a little while the world will no longer see me. This is Jesus talking to his disciples after he's coming to Jerusalem, after the Hosanna in the highest. A little while and the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. That's a pretty powerful promise. I'm just gonna leave that one out there for you. I'm just gonna leave that one out there for you. The world won't see me, but you will. That word see literally means... Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will love my Father, and I will manifest myself to him. That word manifest literally means appear. I'm just gonna leave that one hanging out there for you if you want that, you can take that. You know, um, I love hearing stories from folks in the community. I remember hearing a story the past few months of someone that you know the Lord came to them in the middle of the night and, and took them on a journey. Literally. So I'm just gonna leave that out there for you. If you want that, you can have it. Carmel, you can take that. So John 19, Jesus has given his dissertation. He's spoken to his disciples. He's shared with them. I'm gonna be betrayed into the hands of men. He didn't say I'm gonna be betrayed into the hands of the Father. <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll hit that one a little more. Where we see Father God in the narrative is so important. Many of us have grown up with an ideology that says, God is too holy to be in the presence of sin. Anybody ever heard that one before? That's taken from Habakkuk, one of the minor prophets, chapter one, verse 13. The verse says, oh Lord, you're too holy to look upon sin, to look upon iniquity. Only problem is the next verse says, so why do you? Turn to your neighbor, say, why does he? Turn to your other neighbor and says, because he loves you. You see, if, if God's too holy to be in the presence of sin, then Jesus Christ could never have come in the flesh. And all we have is a Gnostic gospel, a gospel that denies the deity of Christ Jesus. Is this okay? Am I just, I'm, just, I'm trying to tiptoe a little bit. I have the microphone. Pastor Jesse is Okay. Pastor Jesse will come up and grab the microphone if I go too far. What's that, bro? You're about blowing, blowing your mind. That's awesome. Where we see the father in the narrative is so important. You see if you see the father up in heaven and Jesus Christ going around and saying turn the other cheek, but the father up in heaven saying I'm going to kick some butt. You have a totally skewed, literally a schizophrenic view of God. You wonder why Christians suffer with mental diseases. You wonder why Christians feel bipolar. Maybe it's because we've been preached the image of a bipolar God. Anyway, let's read uh, uh, John chapter 19. We'll start in verse 1. Jesus has walked across the brook. He's been turned over into the hands of men, not into the hands of his father, into the hands of men. They're like, are you Jesus? You guys know the story. I'm just kind of quoted. It's kind of fun. They're like, are you, we're looking for Jesus. He goes, I am he. Everybody falls out. You know, you wonder why people fall out in the spirit in church sometimes or, you know, on the street, you pray for somebody. Well, when Jesus says, I am, everybody falls out. They fell backwards. They asked the question again. He says, well, I already answered the question for you. See, Jesus answers the question of what God's like. Jesus forever answers the question of what God is like. For the joy set before him, he was anointed with the oil of joy beyond all his brothers. Jesus Christ is always the happiest person in the room. He mourns with those who mourn, but he's still always the happiest guy in the room. Why? Because the answer is not in the mourning. The answer is in the joy. Sorrow endures for the night, but joy comes in the. It's always morning in the kingdom. All right, uh, so here we are. We're we're in the morning now. They've gone through the night. You know, they've uh, Jesus was turned over into the hands of men. Peter chops off somebody's ear. Jesus grows the ear back. That's awesome. You just he's just like I'm not. You know, he he was numbered with transgressors, but he wasn't one. Anyway, I'm just I'm just throwing out some stuff for you. It's okay. So in uh, verse one of chapter nineteen. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. Where was the father in this picture? Where's the father right there? Was the father in the guy whipping Jesus' back? Or was the father the one taking the beating? Stuff's really important, guys. Stuff's really important. You might say, well, but it says it pleased the father that he be scorched. Well, of course it did because God saw the end product, but God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ in that moment. Oh, but God can't be in the presence of sin. So how could God be in the midst of all that? Well, if God can't be in the presence of sin, then how can he be even around you <laughs> when you mess up? When you make mistakes, see if you believe that God can't be in the presence of sin, you'll try to fix yourself instead of running to His presence and asking him what He says about you in the midst of your darkness. Anybody ever had a hard day before? Do you notice that nothing changes until you go to him? Anyway, Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him, not the Father. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Literally, God God said that we would reap thorns and thistles because of of our, our partnership with sin in the garden. He wasn't saying, hey, I'm cursing you. God's not saying, I'm cursing you. He's announcing the sowing and reaping. Sowing of sin, reaping of thorns and thistles, but that same system, literally our love, our works, our merits crowned him in that moment. It's okay, I'm just throwing out little metaphors and little things. Pastor Jesse likes it. We both got the squint going on. It's awesome. He's got a little squint going on. <laughs> They put a purple robe on him, robe being royalty. And interesting that, that, that the most royal act of both humanity and God, because Jesus Christ is the union of God and man. Say hypostatic union. It's a theological word. It literally means that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully flesh. The most royal act of both God and humanity is illustrated here, laying down of one's life for his friends. All of God laying down all of life for his friends. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. They began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, this one that a few days before they were celebrating as the military leader, this same one became the scapegoat, became the one that they decided to blame for all their problems. One of the um, things that happens throughout human history is we always look for someone to blame for our problems. Anybody ever been there, you know? You know, you have an issue in your marriage, you look for somebody else to blame. (laughs) You have an issue in your family, you look for somebody else to blame. You have an issue with a teacher, you're like, oh, it's their fault, you know? Can't be me. We always look for someone else to blame. So God actually enters into the midst of this entire system here on the cross. Hail came to the Jews. They came to him. They gave him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. See, Jesus Christ took upon himself all of our condemnation without being guilty, without being condemned himself. Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple road. Pilate said to them, behold the man. See, Pilate only saw a man, but we see so much more. So much of the world just sees a man in Christ Jesus. But when you are born again, you see so much more. You see so much more. The chief priests and the officers saw him. They cried out saying, crucify, crucify. Crucifixion is the most horrible torture method that's ever been invented by humanity. I'll go into that a little bit later. <laughs> Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law and by that law, he ought to die because he made himself to be the son of God. He literally declared, I'm the son of God, I'm the Messiah, which in other words was saying he is God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. It says in Psalm 22, is silent before his accusers. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered and said, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. That really crushes the idea that all sins equal, doesn't it? Just throwing that out there. Anybody ever heard that one before? All sins equal? Genocide is not the same as being mean to somebody. Now, see, if sin is a legal issue, people can say all sin's equal because Jesus Christ took upon the legal consequences of sin. So therefore, all sin's equal because it was the same price paid for all sin. Does that make sense? I want to throw out there your thoughts. What if sin is not as much a legal issue as it is a relational issue? What if sin is literally a perversion of design, so much so that it distorts relationship between God and us and between us and each other? That actually makes sin, I wanna say more powerful, it makes sin a bigger, a bigger issue that Christ was the solution to. See, if sin's just a legal issue, then you just get your little forgiveness message, you know, you, you go to the altar, you raise your hand, you're done. That's it. But see, if sin is a relationally destructive issue, then righteousness gets to be revealed in you as you behold Christ Jesus day to day. Stands in the way of relationship. Now, if sanctification is a process, then, then time becomes our savior. But if sanctification's a person... Anyway, that's actually in the Bible. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter one. Christ is our sanctification. Uh, You can read that later. Let's see here. Do you not know that I have authority to release you? You have no authority over me unless it had been given to you. He who delivered you over to me has a greater sin. See, there are are things that are more destructive to the world around us. I'm not gonna go into that because that's a different message, but there are things in, in our lives that are more destructive to the world around us. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. If, uh, if a single man decides to run off outside of marriage and live in promiscuity and immorality, it's destructive to both him and every person he gets with. It's destructive to people that are around him, that see him as an example, that look up to him in any way. But if a married man were to go and do the same thing, it's also destructive to his family. You guys understand? So there are, there are things that are worse than, than one or the other. But Jesus Christ is the solution to all of it. And there's no sin, there's no darkness that's too dark for his light. There's no place that can remain hidden. All things will be revealed, so you might as well get clean quickly. Everything comes out in the end anyway. My wife and I sometimes we watch this show, uh, Suits. You ever seen that show on TV? I'm not trying to give an advertisement for it. But the whole show starts with one lie. And that lie literally reaps destruction through the entire show. And you see the power of one thing and how it can destroy. Maybe there's, Maybe there's something in our lives, even you're in this room right now, and there's something in your life that you know is destroying. All you have to do is bring it to the light. You don't have to go tell the world about it. You don't have to go tell your neighbor and everybody. Just go to somebody and just be like, bro, I need your prayer. Confess your sins to one another. He's faithful and just to forgive us of sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John chapter 1. That was message number four. As a result, Pilate made efforts, as verse 12, to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Isn't that awesome? They're manipulating again. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat, at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of the preparation for the Passover. So that is uh, Holy Thursday or the Passover. They had Passover. So Friday morning, we celebrate it this week. Whether that is accurate or not, you can go figure out on your own. But um, this Friday, we're talking about Friday, would be a day of preparation because the the Saturday was the Sabbath, so they couldn't do work on the Sabbath, so they had to get all their business done on this day. Does that make sense? It was about the sixth hour, so that would be about 12 p.m. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? You guys, this is crazy prophetic, isn't it? No one knows the full extent of what's going on except for the one that's taking the brunt of the whole picture. We have no king but Caesar. See, the political system will always cause you to choose one over another. Another. But God in Christ lays down his life and gives you freedom, true freedom, the only kind of freedom that can free you. I'm gonna hit this for just a sec, but there's all kinds of social movements out there. There's all kinds of political movements. You know, the Bible actually says there's no male or female in Christ. Anyway, okay, I'm gonna jump back here. Just throwing that out there for you. There's so many things you can get your identity in except for Jesus. Verse 16, so he handed them over to them to be crucified. He handed over to the people to be crucified. doesn't say anywhere he handed them over to the Father. Where was the Father in this picture? In Christ. In Christ. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross. He bore it all. They took him to the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Gogotha. There they crucified him with two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. When Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, he, uh, he carried the cross up a hill. He was nailed, um, both of his feet together, a nail going through his feet and uh, in his hands. Some people think the wrists here, some people think the hands here with like a little placard on top to hold it in place. Whichever one, You decide, you can pray about that. People that have seen him have seen different things, so I I don't know what to do with that. But God's faithful. He's really real. He was crucified for our sins. He became sin on the cross. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter five, he who knew no sin became sin for us. What does that mean? It literally means everything that we see wrong with the world and everyone we want to blame for our problems, ultimately, it's always going to point back to God. And God said, all right, fine. You know what? If you want to blame someone, I'm going to enter into your system of blame and I'm going to utterly destroy it. Love entered into our system of destruction and overcame. We sing hallelujah, the lamb over, has overcome. Um, when he was there on the cross, uh, you would typically, uh, over the period of time, suffocate was basically how you would die. Um, and it goes on, I'll just read a little further. There they crucified with two other men on the side, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. The Three major languages of the region. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. (laughs) Then the soldiers, when they've crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. I'm almost done, guys. Somebody somebody was just thinking that. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them and my clothing for lots. One of the other uh, gospel translations, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? Well, in Hebrew culture, there was this rabbinic study, this rabbinic style where they would say the first verse of a psalm and the rest of the psalm, everybody would recite, So Jesus was citing the first verses, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But if you read further down in the Psalm, it actually says God is not far from those who are afflicted. Why? Because God is literally in Christ. You see, if God's not in Christ in this moment, you will always have a reason to doubt the authenticity and the love of your father. If Jesse has children and his son August messes up, Causes a huge mess. Shreds the couch, the new couch that you guys are getting. And you know. <laughs> just just gets free with the walls or whatever. You know, just does something. You know? Just lets it all go. I don't know. And Jesse comes home and Jesse says, I have to take this out on somebody. I have to take my anger out on somebody. You know what? Instead of taking my anger out on August why don't I take my anger out on Reagan? Is that a good father? I'm just, I'm just, I'm poking at a few things that many of us have been taught our entire lives. But if Jesse comes into the house in that moment, and instead of being angry, lays aside all of that and goes to reconcile his children and clean up the house. Is he a loving father? This is our father laying down his life. Now some, some people aren't, aren't liking what I'm saying, but that's okay. That's okay. If you want schizophrenic Christianity, you can have it. I'm done with it. If you want a father who's angry and has to kill people, then you're going to reproduce that image in your life. But if you want a father who turns the other cheek, who literally takes our scourging, who takes our crucifixion, who enters into the, all of our darkness that he would reveal light, that that's love. Right. The only people that are there at the cross. Uh, are the people that didn't define themselves by God's love for them, but the women in John who says, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved, those are the ones that were able to be there with him in that moment, the ones that just knew his love for them. It's another good message, preach a different day. They give him a jar full of sour wine in verse 29. It's that old system of religion, that old stale system. When he, when he drank that sour wine, he said, is it is finished, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Roman soldiers came by, they were gonna break his legs. Well, in Psalm 22, it says none of his legs are broken, so of course that can't happen. Uh, he had already died. He'd given up his spirit. They pierced his side and blood and water flowed out. What does that indicate? That possibly indicates that he literally died of his heart giving out all of his passion, all of God's passion, all of the Father's passion, right there in that moment, beating for you against all of your brokenness. His heart, literally, he gave everything that could be given. He gave everything that could possibly be given. Father wasn't up in the sky somewhere just watching, turning his back. I can't look at that. You know, it's just too dirty. It's too dirty what they're doing to Jesus. No, Father was staring through the eyes of Jesus. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. You can read Greek different ways. You can read it as Jesus is saying, Father, would you please do this? You could actually also read it as the Father forgives them. Anyway, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna close because we're, we're coming up on Easter next week. You guys know the, uh, many of you know the end of the story. Um, Jesus gets laid in a tomb. He gets wrapped up in there. The tomb becomes a womb to eternal life. Death couldn't hold him. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. It's interesting that it's not worthy The was the lion who came to conquer and destroy. But John, in Revelation, hears a lion roar and turns his head and sees the lamb that was slain. When you to stand to your feet. Oh Jesus, you're faithful. You entered into our darkness, you entered into our sin, you entered into our brokenness. You're not sick, you don't give sickness. You're not diseased, you don't give disease. There's no shadow or turning in your face, God. All of God is illustrated in Jesus Christ. The fullness of the God had dwelt in bodily form in Christ Jesus. And when we see him and in him, when we see that we're in him, we'll know that we're complete. We'll know that we've been made perfect. When you see yourself in him, sickness can't hold on to you. Disease can't hold on to you. And somebody's like, well, Chris stood for healing. Well, yeah, that doesn't make God any less the healer just because you need something. You might need money. That doesn't mean mean that God's any less the provider. When you behold him, you become like him. God, we thank you that you're changing our perception of your image through revealing your true image in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that everyone here would move in a greater revelation this week of your love. They would see your love. They would see your love. They would see your love in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If we could get the prayer team to come up. Um, Feel the anointing. If you need a miracle or healing, the Lord's here. He's doing healings. You know, there's someone in the back over in that area. You're getting healed of some gnarly sinus problem. The Lord's already doing it. Just take a breath out of your nose, in and out. The Lord Jesus heals you. There's someone over I believe, there's multiple people, there's a person over here with a right wrist problem. There's somebody over here with a right wrist problem. If that makes sense to you, just start, put your hand in the air, start moving your wrist around. The Lord's already healed you. I just just felt that really strong, a right wrist problem. If that makes sense to you, just start moving your wrist around. The Lord's already healed you. God, we just thank you for what you're doing. If you need healing for anything, yeah, thank you, Father. I see that hand up there, checking it out. If you need healing for anything, this prayer team is loaded with miracles. We see miracles every week on the prayer line. We're gonna be doing discipleship class in probably like 20 or 30 minutes if you want to hang out. If you want to learn what it's like to follow Jesus or what it's like to be a mentor, to mentor people, or to just grow in this relational walk, stay. We highly encourage you. We prayed into this. It's going to be amazing. If we get the house music, we love you guys. We'll talk soon.